God tonight. Amen. Amen. Second Thessalonians tonight, chapter uh, number two. We're getting back in uh, uh, Second Thessalonians. Uh, we were in chapter one, uh, I guess, three weeks ago, and uh, wrapped up chapter one. I was out of town one week, and then last week uh, wanted to deal uh, with um, some things in the uh, just studying the Bible, and uh, we looked at. Uh, 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles and Jeremiah last week. Tonight we're going to be back in chapter 2. And uh, we're going to take a glimpse at an individual that is going to shake up the world. Um, I want us to begin reading tonight in verse number 1. And we're going to focus, Lord willing, down to verse 12. Uh, and uh, we'll try to get through this the best we can. If we don't, we don't. And uh, we'll just, uh, we'll certainly want to take some time to pray tonight, okay, as a church. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That's who we're going to be talking about tonight, the son of perdition. That's the title of my message this evening. Verse 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things, and now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, Paul mentions here, and I, I, I pointed it out there in verse 3, he mentions this individual as the son of perdition, he mentions him uh, in verse number 8 as that wicked you see the capital W there. We often refer to him as the Antichrist. Do you know that the term Antichrist only shows up four times in the Bible? And every time it's only used by the Apostle John. And I want to show them to you, okay, because they're right there together. I want you to turn to your right to the book of 1 John, chapter number 2. Now this is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. We're not going to look at the Gospel of John. But I want you to see what he writes here in 1 John chapter 2. Now, predominantly, John speaks of the spirit of Antichrist, which definitively means something or 
someone that is, stands in opposition of Christ. Anti, okay, he's in opposition of. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you'll notice here's one of the references and look at verse 22. He says, who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. So there's your definition. He, he denies Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah. He denies God the Father and God the Son. And as a result, he is anti-Christ. Uh, look, go uh, to 1 John chapter 4, same letter. 1 John chapter 4. And let's look here in verse number 1. He says, Beloved, believe not every spirit. That's, that's good advice, okay? Just because it, it claims to be something doesn't mean it's truth. So he says, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. They can put a, Christ, they can put a Christian name on it, but it doesn't mean that it's right, okay? He says, Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit, capital S, of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, even now already is it in the world. And that is speaking, when John is writing there, obviously he's not talking about the person, the Antichrist, because that guy would be living for a very long time. All right? John died a long time ago. He is talking about the spirit of Antichrist, and that has been in the world ever since that day. He's talking about it's, it's been in the world for quite some time. Uh, look... Uh, Go to 2 John, okay? 2 John, and if you can find chapter 2, say amen. 2 John, look there. I'm not even going to tell you chapter 1 because there's only one chapter. 2 John, look in verse number 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver. And an antichrist. Okay? So that really is anyone who denies Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. Now go back to, I, I, I skipped this because uh, I want us to go back to 1 John chapter 2 where we started. And I want you to look in verse 18. Okay? This is the fourth reference that we have here. He says, little children, it is the last time, okay, and as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Okay? So he speaks there of that Antichrist shall come. Now when Paul is speaking of him, you go back to 2 Thessalonians, he's speaking of the person of the Antichrist. But he doesn't refer to him by that particular title. And in, uh, in chapter 2, and what we just read, in verse uh, number uh, 3, he calls him that, that man of sin. At the end of the verse, he, he calls him the son of perdition. And as I mentioned a minute ago, in verse 8, he calls him that, uh, that 
wicked, okay? That is how he refers to them, that individual in our text. Two people in the Bible are referred to as the son of perdition. Uh, does anybody have any idea who the first one is? Judas, that's right. Judas Iscariot, John chapters, the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 12. Jesus referred to him as, in the, in the Lord's Prayer, referred to him as that son of perdition. And Judas Iscariot had a major part in Christ's first coming, right? He was, he was one who had spent somewhere around three years following Jesus Christ. He denied Jesus Christ, and he betrayed Christ, to, uh, to the, and he delivered him to the Sanhedrin. And eventually, as a result, Jesus was crucified on the cross, for the sin of the world. So Judas, the son of perdition, had a role in, in what took place in Christ's first coming. Now, does anybody know the name of the son of perdition in Christ's second coming? It'd be nice if we all knew that, but we don't know that yet, right? He, he is going to have a name, and he will show up, and the world will know his name. But right now, we don't know who that individual is. He is... But he is going to have a key role that in, in, in Christ's second coming. We just don't know exactly who he is yet, and it's very possible that he is alive and well today. We just don't know. Now, chapter 2 begins with Paul addressing compassionately and humbly. And I say that, I just believe that that is very important. The church is troubled about some things. And Paul doesn't mock them or speak to them uh, without respect. He addresses them compassionately and humbly concerning a fear that they all have driven by confusion that we'll see that caused the church to be troubled. Okay, so they're dealing with some things. I imagine that they're filled with a lot of anxiety about what they have heard and now they are going through and it shook them up so much that they're troubled and so Paul had heard this and when he writes this letter, he wants to address the matter. So my first point tonight is the authority of truth, if you're taking notes, the authority of truth versus the author of confusion. Okay, I want us to read verse 1 again. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together in him. Every time Paul uses the word beseech, and if you pay attention, it shows up quite often, it is always followed by a very important matter. Really, you could say, Justin, when he says, I beseech you, he's so serious about it that he's at the point where he's begging you. Okay? It's that important. And so humbly, he's not pointing a finger in their face and said, listen, I've already told you these things, and you're foolish to be troubled about this. Compassionately, he says, listen, I, I am, I, I'm begging you to hear what I have to say once again concerning the subject matter of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ by our gathering together unto him. Now, that is the subject matter, okay? 
And that, of course, is speaking of the rapture of the church. You're in 2 Thessalonians. You don't have to turn very far. Go one page, probably, to 1 Thessalonians to the left. The 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And there in verses 13 through 18, I've, I've dealt with this recently in the past when we preached on the rapture of the church. I'm not going to read all those verses, but I want to focus on verse 16. Okay, And there Paul says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be of the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. These words are not supposed to drive fear into people. They are supposed to bring comfort to the believer. Okay? It's comforting to know that. It's very possible that there are some in this room who will never die. When that trumpet sounds and the, those who are alive in Christ shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. When Paul is writing, he's referring back in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him. So he's speaking of the rapture of the church. But what we're going to see is what was meant to be comforting has now become a reason for their fear. Look at verse 2. He says, that you be not so soon shaken in mind or be troubled. Neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. The comfort of knowing the truth had been replaced because someone had attempted to deceive them that the rapture had already taken place and they missed it. Now, if you missed it, that's uncomforting, right? And because they had been taught about the day of the Lord, and don't mix up the day of the Lord with the Lord's day. The Lord's day is what we celebrate every Sunday, right? First day of the week. The day of the Lord is that period that takes place following the rapture of the church, beginning with the it begins the tribulation period, Okay. And so they had been taught about the day of the Lord. We'll look at it again uh, and, and as a refresher in a little bit. They had been taught that God is going to judge the world. The wrath of God is placed upon the world. And so if we have missed the rapture, as some have said, then we're going to experience this tribulation. And as a result, they're, they're shaken, they're troubled, they're anxious, they're extremely bothered by this. And so even though Paul had taught them the truth, they allowed someone else to come in and trouble them with a lie. And when we are troubled, it causes us to waver in our faith and in our belief. But we know this about the Lord. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.7, some of you probably have it memorized, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Aren't you glad of that? He's given us the spirit of power and of love. And of a sound mind. If uh, he talks about the love of Christ being in us. And if the love of Christ is not in us. Then there is a reason to fear. Okay. And so there is a fear that stands in opposition. Of the peace of God. And God's, Paul is saying God hath not given us that spirit of fear. So don't be troubled over those things. Now in 1 Corinthians 14.33. Paul wrote this. God is not the author of confusion 
Instead, he's the author of peace as in all churches. So God doesn't want us to be confused about things. He, he gives us the word. We have the full, sure word of prophecy. We have the entire word of God, and we can read this, and we can gain truth from this. And he doesn't want us to be confused. That confusion either comes from people, it comes from fear, or it comes from uh, spiritual warfare devised of Satan himself. There were some individuals who presented the church with lies, and this wasn't God. Now, a few of the greatest lies told today is, uh, first of all, there is no God. Well, the psalmist said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Right? Uh, in Romans chapter 1, yeah, you, uh, let's just go there, all right? Romans chapter 1. We don't get done, we don't get done. Romans chapter 1, I want you to see uh, what Paul, Paul deals with this subject, all right? Some say there is no God. Well, Romans chapter 1, let's start in verse 15, all right? So, as much as in me is, Paul says, I am ready to preach the gospel to, to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So where, wherein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith? It is revealed in the gospel. Okay. Now in verse 18, he, he doesn't speak about the righteousness of God. He speaks of the wrath of God. He says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They have heard the truth, but rather than receive it and believe it, they hold it in unrighteousness. Verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Speaking of his creation in verse 20, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Even people who have never heard the word of God can look at creation and say there's got to be a God. That's what he's saying there. There's no excuse. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Rather than glory in God, and rather than believe in God, they chose, they chose to believe a lie. Verse 22, they professed themselves to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of God, the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. That's, you could put, that's evolution right there. Verse 24, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Amen. It's foolish to believe that there's not a God. That is a lie. People choose to believe a lie rather than believe truth. Some say there's no such thing as absolute truth. All right? I got news for you. You got absolute truth right here. Okay? But if you want to reject this, this is what happens. If you reject this as truth, then Cecil Berry can be his own God. 
Cecil Berry can do whatever he wants to do, live whatever life he wants to live. If he can say that this is not absolute truth, then I am free to live my life however I want to live it. Okay? Now Jesus said, Jesus himself, in John 17, verse 17, said, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. God's word is truth. And so that is the word of Jesus Christ. That's not a Baptist preacher. That's not Pastor Ricky. That is Jesus Christ. Thy word is truth. Now, 2 Timothy 3.16 talks about that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So every word of God, all scripture, everything you have in your Bible is given to us by God himself. Okay? So that is God's word. And all scripture is profitable. For instruction, in, for, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. All scripture is profitable. Well, you take it a little bit further. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse number 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's Jesus' words, okay? Not by Ricky, but by Jesus. You want to get to heaven? You want to get to the Father? It is through Jesus Christ alone. Now, people want to say, all roads lead to heaven. All roads lead back to God. We are all God's children. We are not all God's children. John chapter 8 speaks of, you're of your father the devil. We are not all God's children. That is a lie. You, you see it all over Facebook. That is not true. We are not all God's children. But as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Receiving Jesus Christ is what makes you a child of God. And so some say, you know, well, well I can just, uh, there's no absolute truth. Anybody, you can live good enough. You can do certain things and get your way to heaven. No, Jesus said, Jesus said, thy word is truth. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay. So you have to base everything upon what God's word has to say. Some say there's no such thing as absolute truth. I say that there is. God doesn't love me, somebody says. I'm unforgivable. God doesn't love me. Well, the Bible says God so loved the whole world, right? And some says, well, I'm, I'm unforgivable. Well, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. All sin is forgivable. All sin is forgivable except for rejecting Jesus Christ, rejecting the conviction of the Holy Spirit and denying Jesus Christ as Savior. That sin is unforgivable. Okay? And so any person can be forgiven. 1 John chapter 1, 7 says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, hath cleansed us from all sin. Everybody can be forgiven. All right? Everybody can be forgiven. So he says in, uh, uh, some say, I hope I will go to heaven. That's a lie. Don't believe that lie. I hope I'll get to heaven. God wants you to know you can go to heaven. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. All right? Many other scriptures. God wants you to know that you're his child and that you can go to heaven. If you are wavering on that fact... Listen, I, I've often given this illustration. I'm never going to ask directions from somebody who doesn't know how to get there themselves. Right? And if you don't know if you're going, where you're going, how to get there, listen, you're not going to help one person get to heaven. Right? So don't believe that lie. 
Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Accept him by faith. You can be saved and you can know that you have the eternal home in heaven. But these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God, that ye may know you have eternal life. Now, go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Paul combated the deception once again with the truth. That's how he dealt with that. They're shaken, they're troubled. And so Paul, he doesn't pat them on the shoulder and says, Listen, honey, everything's going to be okay. It's all going to be all right. That's not how he comforted them. He comforted them by reminding them of what is truth. Let's go back to verse 3. Let's just read the whole verse and read down to verse 5. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, talking about the day of the Lord, okay, that's what they're afraid of. He says, that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of, man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? Remember, we've already discussed this. Paul had taken them through the scriptures. He had taught them this. He says, you remember what I taught you? Remember what I showed you from the scriptures? Of how the day of the Lord is at hand and how it, how it comes and how it takes place? Don't be deceived by by uh, false teachers, by false prophets. He's saying he comforts them with a reminder of what he had previously taught them. And he comforts them with a reminder that the day of the Lord follows the rapture of the church. You gotta, let's just go back one page to your left. All right, We just read that the rapture takes place in chapter 4 and verses 13 through 18. Those last six verses of that chapter, we'll get to chapter 5. Let's pick up there. And he says, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. All right? He's a thief because nobody knows when he's coming. All right? If he knows when he's coming, he can't be, he's not a very good thief. He says, hey, you know this, the thief, he come, the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when, you, for when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. They think everything is good, everything is wonderful, then suddenly destruction comes upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, verse 4, are not in darkness. Praise the Lord for that. If you're not in darkness, that means I can see what is happening. Is that agreed? If it's dark, I can't see. I'm as blind as everybody else. But he says, listen, you're not in darkness. The day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Nobody knows when he's coming. Nobody sees when he's coming. He says, but you brethren, you saved individuals, you church, you are not in darkness. So he says that that day should overtake you as a thief. It's not going to surprise you. You're all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, and, but let us watch and be sober. Okay? So we're aware Jesus is coming soon. Are you with me? We're aware of this. Okay? The day of the Lord is coming. Lost 
undone, those who are blinded by sin, those who don't have the light of the glorious gospel shine upon them, they can't see it. But you can see it. I can see it. And he's telling the believers, listen, listen, don't be afraid of this. You are not of the night. You are not of the darkness. It's not going to take you by surprise. Why? Because look at verse 9, same chapter. He says, for God hath not appointed us to wrath. Praise the Lord for that. What does that mean? It means that you're not going to go through the day of the Lord. Hello? It means you don't have to go through that. He didn't didn't appoint you to wrath. He says instead, he says, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. You know why you don't have to worry about it? You know why you're not in the dark? Because before that tribulation happens, before, before that wrath of God comes upon this world, the church is out of here. Right? It's out of here. So you don't have to be afraid of that. You don't have to be scared. Lots of times Christians, they're, they're, they're curious about this particular time. And they want to know more, all these things about it. And sometimes it gets people all nervous and upset. And you watch the news and it really gets you all uptight and all that stuff, right? Well, look, i got news for you. The worse it gets, that means the closer to Jesus coming. All right? So don't get so anxious about it. Don't get so troubled about it. The, the, the Jesus is going to take care of his own. Secondly, the son of man versus the son of perdition. Now, he speaks there, and back in 2 Thessalonians, in verse 3, he speaks there that there has to be, before that day shall come, there must be a falling away first. Let me, you see that. And that man of, of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Now, the falling away is referring to apostasy. The Greek word is apostasia. And it means a defection from the truth. Now, there's always been a spirit of apostasy in the general sense where there are false teachers presenting false doctrine. Paul dealt with that throughout the epistles. Uh, I think of Galatians automatically comes to mind when you read through the book of Acts. There were those who were trying to add to what Jesus Christ done. So there's always been a spirit of apostasy. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And so there is some, there's going to be a departing from the faith. When there's apostasy, when, when, there is, when there's an awakening, people are going toward the truth. But after a time, apostasy sets in and people start going away from the truth. All right? Now, the world has yet to see the apostasy that will take place when the man of sin, the son of perdition, will be revealed. At first, he will appear as the friend of religion. Why would everybody believe in this antichrist, this son of perdition? Because he comes in as the savior of the world. He is the great peacemaker. He is the one that brings the world together. And, he, and people are drawn to him. He is very charismatic. He is someone that, that people turn to and want to believe in and want to follow. He will be a peaceful political leader who unites ten nations of Europe... And according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 1 through 3, he will bring a brief time of peace to the world. He'll make a covenant with Israel. 
promising to protect her and permit her to rebuild the temple. Come with me to Israel, and I will take you just outside of the, the Wailing Wall, where the, where the Jews go and put their prayers, and they stand there and they weep, the Wailing Wall, and they weep, warning the opportunity, warning the Messiah to come, wanting to see the temple once again be built. I will take you to the menorah that has already been built, and it is in a glass case, and it is really, really big, and it is really, really cool. They have already built it in expectation that they're going to once again get to rebuild the temple. They're going to get to do that. And they're going to get to do it with the blessing of the son of perdition. He will, he will bring peace and allow them to do so. He will temporarily solve the Middle East crisis. I mean, if you can do that, man, uh, you're going to, all the world's going to, you're going to have the whole world's attention. But after three and a half years, he will break his word with Israel. He will take over their temple. And then his true character will be known as he blasphemously opposes all that is God and demands everyone worship him. That's where we say that his head got a little bit too big, right? Look at verse 4 of our text, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 4. He says that the son of perdition opposeth, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, everything. It doesn't matter what religion you are. Everything that is God and everything that is worshipped, he, he stands above all of that exalteth himself above all that and opposes everything else, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The temple, that temple that has always been in Israel, symbolizes the presence of Almighty God. That holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, symbolizes the presence of Almighty God. And that, that son of perdition will sit on that throne in that temple and he will draw everybody into himself and claim that he is God and people will believe it and people will bow down and worship him the world has never known the type of apostasy that he'll bring Jesus called it in Matthew 24 verse 15 the abomination of desolation he will organize a church that will a world church that will worship Satan while worshiping him which has always been Satan's goal, hasn't it? In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, I'm about out of time, I'm not going to go there. But oh, Lucifer, how have you fallen? And Lucifer talks about how he is going to be God, how he will exalt himself, how he will be worshipped, okay? That has always been Satan's goal. Now, lastly, we see the timing of the Antichrist revelation. Uh, not lastly, but the time of Antichrist revelation. Verse 6. When the time was right, God sent his only begotten son of the world. The same will be true concerning the timing of the Antichrist introduction of the world. God's in control of that. Satan doesn't determine what time. Satan does not tell God when and what to do. Amen? God determines that. And Paul reminds the brethren in verse 5 that he taught them this. And the Antichrist has not been revealed because there is a restraining force preventing him, which is none other than the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 6. Read down to verse 8. He says, and now you know, 
what withholdeth that he might uh, be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy the brightness of his coming. The Holy Spirit right now restrains restrains the, the power of Satan. With the presence of the church and the restraining power of the Holy Spirit, all Satan can do now is promote a spirit of lawlessness. We see that throughout our world. But that will all change when the church is removed during the rapture and the Holy Spirit will cease from holding back the power of Satan. Listen, the lost world can complain about the church all they want to. How much they hate the church and how hypocritical it is and all these things. I'm never going to go to that church and all of this stuff. They don't realize what goes on in the church is holding back the power of Satan from overcoming this world. Amen. We're fighting sin every day. And the Holy Spirit is at work and he's convicting sinners of, of, of sin and, and bringing forth judgment. I want you to think of Job. Satan could do nothing to him without God's permission. And when the church is called out, God will give permission for that wicked to be revealed to a world. Now remember this, it's to a world that had rejected God's son. Because every person who accepted God's son is gone. And the only one that is left is every person who denies Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Who refuses to believe the gospel. Every person who, who refuses to get saved will be left behind. Every saved, born-again Christian is gone. Out of here. But the authority still belongs to God. And when the time comes, the Lord will consume the son of perdition with the spirit of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. He makes that clear in verse 8. Now, let's wind up. Receiving the truth versus the belief in a lie. Last point. Ever since Acts chapter 2, when the believers received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the message was of God's love. Okay? And it's displayed through the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We call that the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that message has been preached throughout the world, and it is still being preached today. And those who have personally received it have received the gift of eternal life, and as a result, go to heaven. And every person who has rejected that message have died and have gone to hell, where they will receive the punishment of everlasting destruction. And that choice is each of ours. It's our, it's our choice. But concerning the time period that Paul is writing of, that he is speaking of here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, those who received the love of truth, meaning they accepted Christ to be their eternal Savior, they have been called up to meet the Lord in the air at the rapture. They're gone. And those who are left behind are those who rejected this message. And it is them he speaks of in verses 9 through 12. Let's, let's read. Verse 9. Even him whose coming, speaking of the Antichrist, the son of perdition, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Why? Because they received not the love of truth that they might be saved. 
And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believed not, in the, tr- believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Because of their rejection of truth, God will abandon them. God will abandon them and he will allow them to believe a lie. If you want to believe it, God says, I'll let you believe it. Okay? He'll allow them to believe a lie. Strong delusion will come over them. Okay? Why? Because they have chosen to not believe the truth. They have chosen not to receive the love of truth, that they could be saved. They have instead rejected truth and believed it not because they had pleasure in unrighteousness. They would rather live their sinful life rather than be born again. You remember in Romans chapter 1, we started there earlier, where the unrighteous and unbelieving changed the truth of God into a lie, and and Paul said that they worship the creature more than the creator. That's in verse 24. He, He later said in verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Sometimes you think, how can a person do that? How how can anybody be a pedophile? How is that possible? They have gotten so far away from God and so far away from the truth and rejected all that is righteous that they do things that are unthinkable. God gave them up. He allowed them to believe a lie. He will do so during the tribulation. There in chapter 2, in verse number 12, he speaks of those who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Those people will be deceived by, in verse number 9, the one whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. They're going to look at him and say, wow, look at what this guy can do. He has the power of God. He must be God. And therefore, I will worship him. And there will come a time where no one will be able to buy or sell anything without taking the mark of the beast. You can't go to the grocery store. You can't do any banking. You can't do anything unless you can present that mark. And you may think, well, I'm brave enough, I'm strong enough, I could go through that thing and I would never do that. But you, can you imagine if your babies, your grandbabies, your children are over there crying, starving to death? But if you take that mark, you will spend eternity in the lake of fire. It's a terrible time. Terrible time. Don't believe every spirit. Is it possible for people to be saved in the tribulation? Yes, it is possible. Although the Holy Spirit will no longer restrain the power of evil from the world, he is still God, which means he is still omnipresent. He can be anywhere at any time. He cannot keep God out of it. 
And he is still able to regenerate those who believed. And we read about those in Revelation chapter 7. The big difference is believers will suffer greatly during that time period. Many will suffer martyrdom. They will either, they, many of them will lose their life, lose their heads because of their faith. Today, you're saved by grace through faith. It is pretty simple. Amen? And the, about the worst you get in America is somebody says, I really don't want you to pray for me. Oh, boo-hoo if that hurts your feelings. You're saved and going to heaven. So what's the point? The best day for anybody to be saved is today. Don't ever put it off tomorrow. Don't ever put it off tomorrow. One, tomorrow may be too late because you might not make it till tomorrow. That might be one. But the other is, everybody who's around you right now might not be here tomorrow. We may be with Jesus. And your unbelief caused you to stay right here. Can you get saved? You can get saved. But it's going to be tough. Why not get saved today? Right? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come a part of God's family. Have you done something unforgivable? You know, I ain't told you this, but uh, when, uh, when, we, when, we, uh, when Larry baptized all those guys in the jail, there's a couple there that I, that I hugged who were in there for capital murder. Can they be forgiven? They can be. They can be. Does some people not want to be forgiven? Yeah, probably so. But I'm thankful God's my judge. Amen. I leave the eternity up to God. God, God, God. God knows where you are. God knows what you made of. God knows what you've done. God knows what you've been through. God still loves you. God can still forgive you. Right? What he can't forgive is you rejecting his son. Don't do that. Father, I thank you tonight. I thank you for the blessed opportunity to deliver the word. Father, I'm thankful tonight that I do not have to be troubled about the tribulation. I do not have to be troubled about the Antichrist and what he may or may not do. I'm thankful tonight that we're now at a place in our life where all of our children are saved. My wife is saved. My family is going to be caught up together with you to meet you in the air. I look forward to that day, that opportunity. God, what an encouragement that is. Help us, Lord, not to be anxious about things that really, Father, do not affect us. Help us to put our faith in what is true, not false teaching, not someone who tries to deceive us from the truth tries to scare us. Lord, help us, Father, to focus on what is true and to live in that peacefully. If we're going to live concerned about anything, may we be concerned about our loved ones who don't know Jesus as Savior. If there's one here tonight that doesn't know Jesus as Savior, perhaps they're here with a friend, perhaps there's someone here tonight that they respect, I pray that you will cause them, Father, to go and talk to them tonight. I pray if they don't have anyone else that they will come talk to me. Lord, if they don't feel comfortable about doing it tonight, that they will set up an opportunity 
the main thing is, Lord, that we're moving forward with this. And I pray tonight that everyone, within the sound of my voice, whether they're in this auditorium or listening live stream, that they know Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior, that they have been forgiven, redeemed, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and on their way to heaven. Everyone know that. Help us, Lord. Focus on your goodness. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for looking at a sinner like us. And still, Lord, having the grace and the mercy to forgive us and set us free. In the name of Jesus, we pray tonight.